The Longbox Crusade presents Fan Bill Fridays. Welcome to another episode of Fan Film Fridays. I'm your host, Clinton Robinson, still down here in the basement of Longbox HQ, because why wouldn't I be at this point, right? Right. <sighs> I blame Jared just because just because it's Jared's turn and because of last episode. But I'm I'm not I'm not because somehow, some way, there is somebody who has come to visit. I really think he was looking for John and Maggie to be on the Rod Pod, but guess what? The Rod Pod's an entirely different show, folks. And on top of that, Transformers Chronicles isn't looking for a new host. Delvin is staying right where he's at. So you can welcome the other guy with the D name because he's down here with me for a little bit. That's right, folks. I got the one and only Derek William Crab. Hey, what's up? Yeah, I tried to stow away on the Rod Pod, but... I I got I got uh, beamed into the basement instead. I don't know how that happened. I was totally like admiring all the decor and and super cool rod potty spaceship stuff. But but yeah, I I I ended up here. Yeah, best you don't trust John and Maggie to drive. The rod pod has crashed into the basement at least once, and I really <laughs> w- you know. I really wouldn't ex- be too surprised if it happened again. So, Derek, while you're here, and, you know, obviously not getting out of the basement because nobody ever does, uh, you want to sit here and talk about fan films? Absolutely. Okay, so since, since this is your first time on the show, what is your experience with I feel like I I really got into fan films early on, and then I, I think... There was, I don't know, there was a sense of knowledge. I feel like the, the, the heyday for me was like the, the late nineties and, and early two thousands. Like that was when I felt like I got the most into fan films because I, I know like some of the things I was combing my brain for to talk about, like they, you, you probably noticed they, they, they're of a certain vintage and like, you know, every once in a while, you know, like, like sometimes there are, fan films that come up you know whether it's on this show or other places that people reference you to right and then you're like oh that is that that is pretty cool or whatever i think you know they they tend to get more and more professional as they go on so you 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 start to question the aspect of the the fan film because it's just it's just some some of them are you know it's funny to say but some of the more modern things are, are a little too polished because i think they have probably actually 
you know, certain aspirations to, to become professional, right? Like, whereas, and I'm not saying like the, the ones from the, the late nineties and early two thousands didn't come from a certain place of education and, and professionalism or anything like that. But I guess it's, it, it's just, there's certain telltale signs that you could recognize, you know, whether they're, you know, stop motion action figures, you know, like that, that, that to me seemed to be like the first major I don't know, like, like pre YouTube, you know, pre, I don't know, like, like high speed internet, like fan film thing that I can think of. We all kind of went like Gaga over was the, the whole Fu Kenobi stuff, you know, the, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, Kenner action figure running around, like <laughs> kicking people in the face and having clips from like Pulp Fiction and all that kind of stuff, you know? So it's like something like that where you spent like, you know, hours, you know, trying to, you know, get like a five minute thing from dial up, you know, like that, that to me kind of is like the nostalgic driven, you know, oohs and ahs of, of fan films. And I think, I think now it's just, it, you know, uh, I, there, there are certainly fun fan films, but I, I think, you know, it might not be as easy to make them, but it's certainly easy to find and consume them now like 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 whereas i think in the past it was like it was something you had to sort of do, do a little work for maybe you know like and kind of mm-hmm. seek things out and stuff like that so it's like that that was one of the fun things to to think about or i was like oh yeah like what what were some of those fun you know and 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 i think I, I think there were plenty of fan films and it, it's like that that was something where you know after troops came out you know then there were all these you know, Star Wars fan films. And it's like, sometimes like that's the, the, the plethora of, of that fandom, especially in terms of fan films, you know, it it got to the point where you kind of, you know, were kind of like, Oh boy, it's, here's another, you know, Star Trek fan, you know, like fan film and stuff like that. Whereas I think, you know, some of the fun of that is finding like the, the gems, right? Like these, these diamonds in the rough where you're just kind of like, man, like that's a fan film. And, and I can acknowledge and appreciate that it's not quite on par the production quality of a Hollywood feature film, but but man, there's a lot of love behind you know the the fan film they put together or whatever, and then and, and and a lot of care taken into distributing it and everything. So it's safe to say that uh, you have kind of made your way through some fan films in the day. I'm taking. Oh yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. Okay, and uh, since everybody has already read the show notes, or at least the title of the episode, I'm sure they've figured out that uh, today's episode is going to be looking at Star Trek versus Batman, which, I'm sorry, if that title alone doesn't bring you in, folks, then you're on the wrong network. (laughs) Uh, Yes, folks, Derek himself brought this one to my attention because I... I had no clue it existed, and I am much better for having figured out that it is. <laughs> yeah, this is this is fun, man. I mean, I, I I think that applies to what I was talking about. I mean, oh, yeah. this is not, you know, obviously the the production value is of a certain caliber, you know, but it it it's one of those things where you're like, man, the the script on this and the 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 way they put the two franchises together and thematically you know it's the 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 60s original star trek series you know with the 66 batman series like it it just you know it's it was a good idea and 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 i think 
it was it was executed really well like like for what you know th- this to me is one of those those you know diamonds in the rough that, that you know like a lot of times you can become you know kind of uh <sighs> You know, I, I don't know. Some sometimes, you know, you you can become very easily dismissive of a fan film or fan films, right? Mm-hmm. But this was one of those things where I, I saw it and kind of, you know, you you had that gut reaction of you're like, well, the premise. Obviously, if you see Star Trek versus Batman, you're kind of like, hey, that's an interesting premise. But then, of course, you you kind of look at some of the stills and you're like, I don't know, I don't, you know, like I'm not sure. Like this, you know, it it kind of reminds me. I mean, I guess I guess in some sense it reminds me of being a little kid and pulling the Doogie Howser stuff with shooting home movies, you know, at home and, and trying to make your own home movies. And you know, you, you don't have this multi million dollar budget, so you your 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 costume for Rhino is like a, a bunch of gray you know, sweatshirts and sweatpants and, a uh, 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 you know, a, a clothes hanger that's shaped like a rhino horn. It's put on a ski mask, you know, like that's, that's the extent of your, your production values, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. So it's like, you know, and, and I think they, they, they did a lot of things where they really, I mean, as far as, as the, the piece is concerned, I mean, there was lots of great care cause it's, you know, it's split up into three parts and it's like, they have a, a Star Trek intro, a Batman intro, and a Star Trek intro, but then they, 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 they have it where, you know, they go back in time to the sixties. So then they're, you know, I, I won't say they took great lengths, but they, they certainly made an effort to make that portion seem like it was set in the sixties. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they have all the, you know, the, the enterprise sets and the bridge and the transporter room and that kind of thing. So then they took great lengths to sort of recreate that set for, for the majority of the second part of it. And the third part of it, you know, I, I mean, I guess you could, you could throw stones, right? But you have to remember, I mean, this was, this was made in Indianapolis in 2005. And the majority of that is done on green screen. And I can tell you from personal experience, I mean, it's not easy to film stuff in green screen. Like you have to be well lit and, you know, you have to have really, you know, good software to where you don't look like you're, uh, you know, fading out of existence, like in Star Trek Turnabout Intruder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's that there's that fine line where it's like either either you look like you've got way too much green around you. Or if you if you go really too far in the other direction, yeah, you start to look like Kirk and turn an intruder where nobody can they can just barely see your outline. And that doesn't work either. So you have to find that nice balance, you know, to mm-hmm. to make sure, you know, the the human images on the screen are not, you know, fading out of existence or whatever, you know, and I, I think they did their best with that. And it's it's very, you know, I guess. <sighs> Taking taking those cues from, you know, uh, like the George Lucas Star Wars prequels, you know, like that that third part, almost all of it, you can see, you know, a good chunk of it is, you know, filmed on, you know, quote, unquote, green screen. Right. Like, so it's like they're, you know, and they're, you know, and then they're doing that whole I mean, you know, the, the they're doing that whole city on the edge of forever riff. You know what I mean? Like that. That's one of those things where it's like you, you could tell like a real fan, uh, you know, somebody who cared about the material. Like it's not just, you know, they don't just, you know, rock around the sun to go back in time or whatever. It's like, oh, no, this is super cool. They go to the Guardian of Forever to do it, you know? So it's like, I don't know, like, like, I, I thought it was, uh, 
I mean, to me, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, you you can sit there. I mean, this was probably the the height of my, I don't know. Uh, I would let me put it this way. Uh, you know, given my background and my education and theater and all that other kind of stuff, like I I it would be quite easy of me to be hypercritical of all the performances in this, but. Having said that, like even even though I I would have been at the height of that, uh, you know, critical kind of mindset, I still like I think the fandom in it overpowers any concerns I have with that. And I think there are some good performances in it. And I think also, I guess, you know, to be fair, like some people are performing theatrically. And some people are performing for TV and film. And unfortunately, I, I kind of feel like one of the weaker aspects in this where there's a lot of strong aspects, the 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 sets, the costuming, the the rental car for the Batmobile, <laughs> like all these things that really sell, you know, the, the 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 story they're trying to craft, you know, regardless of the fact that it's a low budget fan film. You know, they have a lot of good selling points. I think the the one thing that it, kind of falls short in is is the sound design right and and i think because you have a subset of actors there they're trying to act for the film which i guess just means in layman's terms like you don't tend to overact when you're trying to do film and tv acting and it's a little more subtle you know it's a little more about you know capturing just the right moment whereas you know stage acting it's it's a little more loud you're playing to like you know that old man like way way up in the bleachers like in the back of the audience so that he can hear what you're saying you know not so much the person in the front row and and i feel like you know the the guy they had playing the joker and and um pr- probably maybe catwoman or like like i think they were a, a little more theatrical and and that worked for this environment because i think the sound design was not you know it just didn't sound like they were capturing all the nuances and subtleties that some of the other actors were trying to bring to their roles because it was more like you're sitting there thinking like oh you know kind kind of like i was like how you know you, i have these memories of you know shooting things on handy cam and basically you're recording with the speaker on the handy, you know, the mic on the handy cam. It's not like you have a boom mic and somebody's off to the side, like picking up all the good audio bits, you know, that, that you need to have in a film. It's, it's just, it's, it's like you're in a warehouse and somebody's like going, I'm talking to you right now about this very logical thing. And it's like, he's probably intense and really into it, but because he's playing for, you know, the TV film type thing and there's not a boom mic there to capture it. Like some, sometimes I think some of those performances get a little drowned out. Whereas I think, you know, the guy trying to do the, the Cesar Romero riff, like he's totally loud, theatrical, bombastic. And so even though he's in a warehouse or, you know, that like you feel like he's in that warehouse setting where that could easily get lost because he's so loud and so bombastic and is like, Oh, captain, you know, and he's kind of, you know, let's push the buttons and all this kind of nonsense. Like you, you, you know, that, that plays better within the context of, of the technology they had or were using. Okay. So, um, let's just rewind a little bit there. And, you know, since we've covered Batman on this show a couple of different times, I'm sure people know him. Uh, I know we went over Star Trek once with Gene, but, uh, just as a reminder, in case anybody has forgotten somehow what Star Trek is, could you let them know what, a little bit about Star Trek? 
Yeah, far far be it for me to uh, to uh, argue with the creator of Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry. But I mean, he basically pitched it as you know wagon train to the stars, right? So it's 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 an exploratory science fiction series. It follows the crew of the starship Enterprise and their search for strange new worlds and civilizations. You know, the whole kind of mandate of the introduction of the series for the that crew to boldly go where no man has gone before and of course you you, you know th- this is this is this fan film is directly focusing on what most star trek fans refer to as the original series which is you know the captain is captain james t kirk the his first officer is the vulcan spock the logical first officer who's half human half vulcan and, you know, that the, the main gist of, of the fan film pits, you know, Kirk and Spock, you know, you, typically against, you know, Batman and Robin. And then you have some kind of crossings of the streams where, you know, the, the Joker comes in and takes over the Starship Enterprise. And then you've got, you know, moments of kind of the, the Star Trek romance where Catwoman sort of morphs into... A, a more traditional Starfleet uniform and and has this kind of romance with James T. Kirk that is, you know, it's a little echoing, I guess, for, for hardcore Star Trek fans. It kind of echoes a bit more of the Marlena from Mirror Mirror or Edith Keeler from City on the Edge of Forever. Like that, that's kind of what they're going for with that particular relationship and everything. But yeah, the, the original series, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, CBS TV show, you know, it was, uh, you know, famously funded, you know, the whole, uh, you know, Desi, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, I love Lucy, you know, that whole thing. They, they were the ones who sort of helped produce the, the show originally. The show didn't last past its three seasons, but really took off in syndication and became extremely popular with science fiction fans and, you know, eventually that led to uh, a feature film about a year after the 1977 Star Wars and and had they had their whole, you know, feature film franchise. And then, of course, there were plenty of other spinoff shows, you know, in the, the late 80s. You had Star Trek The Next Generation, followed by Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise. Um, and then now you've got, you know, all these kind of newfangled modern shows, you know, uh, Discovery and Picard and so on. And so it's it's a long running franchise with multiple incarnations. But in, in this uh, particular fan film, um, I guess for context, I mean, I, I think uh, Enterprise was probably just getting off the air, I think. And and this this probably was a period where there were no. Um, major Star Trek, I guess, films and or TV shows coming out at the time. And I, I think the, 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 the timing of that, you know, the, the, the nascent, you know, I think uh, while this was being shot in 2005 and this fan film would get released in 2006, there were, you know, a lot of nascent things that were coming up. I think, you know, YouTube was just getting made in 2005, you know, so it's kind of like, a good, you know, serendipitous time frame for, you know, fan films to sort of come of age. And also maybe, you know, there, there was a lot more leeway back then, right? Like I know there's all kinds of crazy rules and, and regulations and things now when, when you're dealing with things like Star Trek fan films, you know, they can only be so long. They can only, 
maybe, you know, not use, you know, music clips and things like that from the original series. And I think, you know, a great deal of this, right? Like, like this, this type of fan film, like could not be made today with these kind of, I guess, strict rules or, or, or very, you know, kind of stringent rules that they have today because a, a lot of that stuff is what sells this fan film. I mean, you know, like I said, maybe, maybe, maybe some performances are not as good as others or maybe, some performances are hindered by the the audio like I described, or maybe some performances are perfect, but to accentuate all of those, you, you, you know, it's great because you've got like all the actual, you know, tracks from either the Neil Hefty Batman or, you know, the, um, the courage, you know, uh, uh, soundtracks for the original series, you know, like, so it's like all that stuff, like, you know, or, or even the sound effects, right. The door sliding, the phasers, you know, the, the, the Batmobiles engine roaring, like all that kind of stuff. Alrighty. So as we've said, this is Star Trek versus Batman made back in 2005, but uploaded to YouTube by Christopher Allen in March of 20. What? My notes are wrong. That is not March of 2021. That is March of 2012. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember where I first saw this because I know I know YouTube existed back when this was released, but I don't I don't know that I saw it on YouTube originally. And the fact that he's got the upload on his channel of it in 2012 would lead you to believe it was released in different formats before it mm-hmm. eventually settled on YouTube, unless he had like different channels back in the day or something like that. But I, I, I feel like, but, but then again, like there, there it might've been on YouTube. Cause I, I feel like early in the days of YouTube, it was like, you could only release like, like 15 minute, mm-hmm. 20 minute videos and stuff like that. And, and what you'll notice is, you know, it's not just one video that, tells the whole story in like an hour there's there's three videos and it comes in three parts but i i think that works for especially for the 66 batman that mm-hmm. was frequently ending on these you know two-parters and 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 having that kind of you know the will batman and robin you know get out of this in time you know tune in you know tomorrow same time same bat channel like that whole vibe you know it seemed to facilitate whatever the the youtube time limits would have been at that time yeah and yeah like we said it's spread across three videos uh which you know it's kind of well i mean it's like derek said it's an homage to the batman way it's split up but it's also mimicking the star trek three-act structure so you could view it as a one-hour episode of star trek or Mm -hmm. three episodes of batman either way and it fits yeah uh it's got roughly twenty-seven thousand views across uh, or averaging, you know, across all three videos, it's, you know, it's kind of weird to judge vid- views whenever you have multiple videos involved. But then again, you know, the, this is also since 2012, no telling how many people viewed it during its heyday. So it was directed by Christopher Allen. Writing credits include Christopher Allen and Michael Eulen. And if I say that or any of these other names wrong, I am sorry, folks. You are professionals and deserve proper credit, but I can barely say my own name correctly. Joshua Ramsey played Kirk. Scott Gagneau played Batman. Leo Barzuski played Spock. Daniel Bowden played Robin. Victoria Floro played Catwoman. Gavin Rulin played the Joker. Robert Griffin played Bones. Dennis Crosswhite played Scotty. And Apollo Bacala played Sulu. Notice there are a lot more Star Trek 
characters, then there are Batman characters here, folks. Yeah, no, uh, no cameos from Chief O'Hara and uh, Commissioner Gordon, I guess. Well, Faith and Begora, we don't know if they managed to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is the part where Derek and I will tell you to stop, check the show notes, and watch this film. Altogether, the three videos run right around 51 minutes, so really eerily right at about what an episode of Star Trek would run you. Yeah, I mean, it's, this I'm, is a, I mean, you know, re- regardless of whatever your, your feelings are about the production value, I, I, I will say one thing unequivocally, like this is a well-written, well-structured script. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it'll take a little extra time to watch compared to other fan films that we've covered, but believe me, it will be worth your effort. Why? Well, aside from the roughly an hour's worth of entertainment you'll get, it also helps get everybody on the same page so you'll know what Derek and I are talking about. You know, in case you haven't pieced it all together already. And this isn't just because of that. It's it's also more fun when everybody knows what we're talking about, right? Right. Um, I'd say, you know, we wouldn't accidentally spoil anything for you, but we might have already done that, so oops. But also, it's Star Trek versus Batman. I doubt you went in expecting there to not be any Batman or Star Trek. So, anyway, pause here, check the show notes for the links, and we'll be ready to talk about this when you get back. Captain's Log, Stardate Unknown. After falling through an unusual magnetic storm, we've somehow arrived back at Earth. Earth of the past, that is. Mr. Spock's analysis has determined we are in the latter half of the 20th century. Mr. Spock and I are beaming down to investigate. Meanwhile, on a leisurely afternoon patrol of Gotham City, Batman and Robin answer Chief O'Hare's call of a strange UFO above Gotham. You stage all this to get your hands on my ship? Oh, come, come, Captain. It really won't matter. Once I erase your useless brain patterns, you'll transfer control of the ship over to me and help ravage the planet. (laughs) Okay, everybody back? Good. Ah, In lieu of attempting to relate and nearly an hour's worth of Star Trek zany Batman mashups, I will instead lift a lot from the three blurbs given in the YouTube videos. Part 1. Accidentally sent back to the 1960s, the USS Enterprise is discovered by Chief O'Hara and the Gotham City Space Patrol. Beaming down to Gotham for absolutely no reason, Kirk and Spock are kidnapped and brainwashed using brain drain devices by the Joker and Catwoman, who learn everything they need to know from Spock's tricorder. After some classic biff-pow action, our villains take Kirk and Spock back aboard the Enterprise, with Batman and Robin getting themselves beamed aboard as well. Over in Part 2, the hijinks continue aboard the USS Enterprise as the Joker and Catwoman take control of the ship. Two classic TV series fight for laughs, giggles, and phasers as the Enterprise levels Washington, D.C. and the Eiffel Tower, all at the Joker's command. Special cameo by U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson. The Joker transports the brain drain devices into space, leaving Kirk and Spock mindless vegetables. 
he and Catwoman get taken prisoner while Batman and Robin return to Earth to test a new invention. Catwoman manipulates her way out of the brig and dons a blue science officer uniform. Meowza. She then goes to awaken Kirk with a brain drain backup she had made. Cue the Kirk Catwoman romance. Meanwhile, Batman and Robin take their bat rocket into space to retrieve the brain drain device containing Spock's brain, something the Enterprise is apparently incapable of locating. In a daring spacewalk, Batman manages to succeed where Scotty has failed. So our heroes cook up a plan to use the Guardian of Forever to set things right. Part 3 En route to the Guardian planet, Kirk takes a break to boff Catwoman on Beta Alpha 3 as Batman and Robin sample the flavors of the Enterprise Yeoman menu. The affair between Catwoman and Kirk goes sour as she spills the milk on the space-time continuum. Catwoman releases the Joker and the two transport down to the Guardian and attempt to muck things up in time, Harlan Ellison style. To put it all back in place, Kirk, Spock, Batman, and Robin head to the 21st century. Catwoman does her best Edith Keeler by getting hit by a truck and dying, thus correcting anything she would have done to sabotage the timeline. Afterwards, Spock uses the Guardian again to prevent the inter- Enterprise. Yeah, that thing. Thing I've said like ten times. To prevent the Enterprise from traveling back into the 1960s in the first place, thus negating the entire fan film. Way to go, Spock. FYI, no special cameo by U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson. Okay, so I lied. I totally said a lot of words here, as I had started with, but that's okay. And since I have said a lot of words, people are probably still tired of hearing me talking because, quite frankly, they hear me every episode. So, Derek, in short, what do you think of this fan film? Oh, I, I love it. I, I like I told you before we started recording. I wouldn't have suggested this if I if I didn't have a soft spot for it. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. They they do a good job, you know, selling you know the the costuming and everything. I mean that 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 kind of stuff. Like it's fun because they have the Biff Boff pal fight, but it's with a a mind controlled Kirk and Spock. And and I know there's there's that degree of you know. If you want to take your Star Trek super serious ors, but I mean, there's, I, I feel like there's that, that line where the 60s TV show explicitly interlocks with like Spock's brain or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like there's, there's that kind of, you know, goofy, campy, like compatibility between the two. And they, they sort of play off of that. And, and you, you sort of have to, I, I think you have to be open to the, 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 the fan aura that is, you know, Adam West Batman and and the Joker you know it's it's that notion that you just you have to take it on its face like yeah of course the Joker can read the tricorder and beam up to the Enterprise and cause all kinds of havoc because he's he's you know he's the Joker you know like like why why wouldn't he be able to do this he's a he's a master criminal and all that kind of stuff you know and I, I think you know some of it's so that you can you can maneuver these characters into the the positions that you want to get them in where you have, you know, Catwoman dressed up as a yeoman and kind of, you know, doing the romance thing with Kirk. And when she, you know, man, you know, it's like there's what's the phrase, you know, nothing like a woman scorned, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, hell hath no fury. You know, it's like she's she's ready to to basically, you know, 
destroy the entire universe because she's mad because Kirk loves the Enterprise more than he loves Catwoman. You know, like that's 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 the essential of the plot there. Like that's that's kind of a uh, to me beautifully written, you know, like moment and everything. And I think uh, you know, as far as the 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 aspects of of them trying to like, I, I think what I like the most about like crossovers and and i mean i'm i'm always i'm always a sucker for that like i'm always a mark like if you if you have a crossover comic book if you have a crossover fan film you know i'm 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 always enamored by those possibilities but i think what what makes the execution of good crossovers is is kind of a balance you know the 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 idea that you you don't give one side or the other a short shrift. And I, I don't, I don't ever feel like anybody's given the short shrift here. You know what I mean? Like, like Batman and Robin get to do some cool things, you know, Kirk and Spock get to do some cool things. I mean, I suppose, you know, given your description, I, I think the people who probably get the shortest shrift in this are like the Scotty Sulu fans or, you know what I mean? Like, like they, they you know, it, 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 you'd probably, if like, if like, if you were the biggest Sulu stan ever, you're, you're going to sit there going like, why is St- Sulu taking orders from the Joker? This is ridiculous, you know, or, you know, m- maybe if you, if you wanted to, you know, give, give those, uh, you know, crew of the enterprise as much weight as, as say Kirk and Spock, you know, maybe you'd have the Joker put the, the, the the brain tiaras on on all of them you know so there there is that that funny aspect where you're kind of like hey now like why why are they listening to orders from this painted clown face guy or whatever but you know i i think some of that goes hand in hand with you know the 60s camp and the the spock's brain mentality you're just like look that the, the captain said to shoot the planet so they're gonna shoot the planet you know like that kind of thing or whatever you're just like oh well you know like that's that's how it goes and and some of those stakes are really high too right like i mean i i don't think when you start watching this as as campy and goofy as it is i, I don't think you have any expectation that it's going to result in a part two where the 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 entire you know uh east coast is is obliterated and the nation's capital is destroyed right and there's that there's that moment where it's kind of like it's like it almost plays into some of the camp and goof where it's like golly gee whiz batman i hope nobody was in the capital when those blasts (laughs) went off and it's just kind of like sadly robin I think there were people in the capital, but they were all serving the country and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, like that kind of thing. And then the, the, the patriotic music like swells in the background and everything. So it's like, it, it's very pitch perfect for, for those characters and everything. And, and, and I think again, going back to the balance, I think they all, they all get their moments, you know, I mean, as far as like the main characters, you know, go. So, you know, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I think Kirk, and Spock and and Batman and uh, Catwoman and Joker all certainly get their their major moments and everything. I mean, you know, the, the, I guess I guess if if Sulu gets the short end of the shrift, I guess, you know, maybe you could argue Robin gets the short end of the shrift because I like I like when they're on that Riza planet or whatever. And and Kirk and Catwoman are having their one last fling, you know, before they have to go back and fix the universe or whatever they're planning on doing. Like it's it's great how the the two uh 
the female crew people come in and and uh, you know as you said they're what they're they're sampling the yeoman menu or whatever. But what's funny is I like how they both come in and they're like, "Hi, Batman. Hi, Robin." But then Batman's kind of like, "One day, chum, you'll understand women." And then he like takes both of them. You know, <laughs> it's just like, "Oh man, what up with that?" Like I'm like, there there was there was there was enough to go around, but you know, he just he walks off with both of them, which has made me chuckle. Typical typical bat dick, you know, like taking taking both both the cute yeoman and not even leaving one for Robin. So well, remember, you know, this is schoolboy Dick Grayson. Right, right, right. But I'm glad you brought up the crossover and balance aspects because the whole time I was watching it, like. That's all I could think was like, man, you know, you can tell like some scenes are very much in that Star Trek lens and some are very much in the Batman. Mm -hmm. And but it doesn't feel like either one is really forcing themselves on the other. And it it kind of reminded me a little bit too, like the you know back in the 90s when everything was a, a big crossover, you know, and like they would do the two different versions Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, you would have Batman and Spawn and then like next month you'd have Spawn and Batman. And one was, you know, just a little more like, you know, like Spawn Batman's a little darker because it's image of the 90s and, and everything else. And then Batman Spawn is just a little more Batman, you know, kind of slightly more family friendly because you know, we have DC sensibilities and stuff at the time. And I don't know. I mean, that that was kind of yeah, my I mean, thought it, on it, it. it. It's 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 all incumbent on who's who's producing it, right? Like, and and it seems like here you you have somebody who who was super into the the Batman TV series just as much as they were into Star Trek. So you, you know, you've got the the funny moments where they they come to present day Earth and they're looking at the the Batman Begins poster, and there's that little little slam on mm-hmm. Batman begins, you know, and everything, or, you know, like, so it's, it, it can be as, as campy or goofy as that. But then, you know, th- there's that beautiful moment where they, they, they're, they're certainly echoing Edith Keeler, right? Like kind of giving Catwoman that role. And, and at the climax of it, you know, the car hits Catwoman and they don't, it, it's not like Batman and Robin are in the background, like spinning around like idiots when the scene happens, which would destroy the moment. But it's just a simple moment of like Kirk and Spock in their civvies and he's cradling the dead Catwoman, And then the camera kind of pans up to the sky and you're like, you know, it's a fan film, but it's, it's shot. Well, it's a good moment. Like it, it captures that flavor of, of the, the Star Trek episode they were trying to capture. I mean, they know they're not going to be city on the edge of forever, but they, they infuse enough of that flavor in it that you, you get the idea and it works. Mm-hmm. And I noticed, uh, Kirk and Spock got a lot better at stealing clothes this time around. Yeah. Yeah. But even though they somehow still managed to steal the exact same clothes that they wore <laughs> you know, <laughs> back, back in, in the forties or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, Supposed to be in the 21st century, but you know, Spock still dressed like a longshoreman. <laughs> you know, it was it, that longshoreman look was making a comeback in uh, 2005. <laughs> oh, oh man, this 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 ah, I can't even say it. This film is it's so fun. There, I, I couldn't stop laughing at parts, but I was never laughing at the film. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a behind the scenes. You and I had both discussed it, and uh, the. The guy that made it, even uh, Chris Allen, he he even said like, you know, he just wanted people to have fun and and laugh with it. 
Mm-hmm. And he'd say like there were times like they were writing the script even or just doing stuff on set, and it's like, oh, okay, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make it goofy for goofy's sake, and it it works. Yeah, I think that's one of those things where you, you can tell he he had a genuine care and love for the properties and and that the fact that he could have fun with it but he he sort of was still taking them seriously to a degree right like and and that's that that's that interesting dichotomy of of 66 batman right like when you're when you're three years old and you love batman you take it as deathly serious right like Mm -hmm. but then when you're you know 14 you you laugh your ass off at the exploding shark right like and then when when you're when you're you know uh, a little older than that maybe you get back to your 30s like you can you can appreciate both sides of it right and and see what a you know kind of what a i don't know uh ambidextrous kind of storytelling mm-hmm. it is right <laughs> like where it, it can flip to either side and work both ways and i think i think they were able to successfully capture some of that Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a Batman who tells Robin to pull out his anti-alien spray, (laughs) (laughs) which is doubly funny because Spock is the only alien who technically shouldn't work on Kirk. (laughs) I don't know. Kirk's been with enough aliens. It probably (laughs) probably has some some effect. Oh, and at one point, Batman uses a phaser. I mean, it's like so much for your no guns policy, Batman. You know, it's a phaser. It works. Of course, you know, he basically just shoots it off once and tosses it to somebody. It's kind of like, oh, this is what this does. Never mind, never mind. He's like, rubber phaser burns. Honest. (laughs) Oh, and I do want to point out the sets are actually really incredible for being on a budget. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they, they rented one of those, like, fiberglass, uh, like, Batmobiles and everything, Mm -hmm. and it's like, they, they talk about how the I guess, you know, at the time it was one of these 1966 Batman message boards that that really because I I think I think it was probably easier for them. Even back then, there was probably a lot of either, I guess, what we now call, you know, cosplay. Right. There was a lot of Star Trek, you know, cosplay. There there were a lot of, you know, either, you know, store bought toys that were props or, you know, basically the, the concept was it was it was a lot easier to get you know, phasers and Starfleet shirts than it was to have a, a legit looking Batmobile. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and it seemed like, you know, that was something where that was popular at the time and, and you could get a, a street legal Batmobile from, from these people. But I think what, what they ended up doing is, you know, renting it for the duration of the shoot. Right. And it, it totally like, I mean, you know, they, they have some good stock footage where they have, you know, good establishing shots and everything where it's not, um, Indianapolis or whatever. So they, they've got some good footage like that that tries to sell Gotham City and that kind of thing. But then, you know, I mean, seeing that Batmobile drive around Indianapolis, like that's, that, that, that's the thing that just, completely you know regardless of you know the the batman robin costumes or anything like that like that that was the crowning achievement right in in selling this uh you know believable fantasy right like Mm -hmm. that's that i i think was was their 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 crown jewel you know as far as that goes i mean the, the only thing cooler than that was if they could somehow rent a a bat boat and a bat copter, right? <laughs> like that, that would, that would be, or, or, or maybe, you know, what would have been cool is if they had the, the, if somebody could rent a, a bat cycle and shoot Robin out a little sidecar, like all that <laughs> stuff is great. Yeah. I mean, I love how the bat rocket is like stock footage of 
like Apollo 11 or whatever yeah. going yeah. up. Yeah. But, yeah. but at the same time, like they still make the effort to make an interior set. So Batman and Robin can give lines for 45 seconds worth of dialogue. Right. Right. And I, I think, you know, at least the, the Scotty stands like they, they've got something to cheer for. Cause I mean, he's the guy who comes in and, just you know shoots the joker and says the hell with this like right regardless of of his captain being mind controlled or whatever right mm-hmm. so you can you can at least you know pat scotty on the back for for a job well done at, at a key moment in the uh, plot of the, the the episodes now anything that i say would be a low is probably a nitpick but i mean it would be stuff like the batman cowl doesn't look like it fits incredibly well uh Robin seems like he's probably a little bit taller than Batman outside yeah, of costume, yeah. you know, stuff like it. Mm-hmm. Like Bones looks like he's 30 years older than Kirk instead of just a few years older. It's, it's, well, man, if you, if you think the Batman costume doesn't fit snugly, I, I want to hear what you think about, uh, Sulu's Star Trek shirt that clearly belongs to, uh, the guy that was, uh, uh, the security officer that, uh, Batman and Robin had to take down or whatever. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking more about, you know, Sulu needs to visit the barber. <laughs> Cause that is definitely not some regulation hair there, <laughs> Mr. Sulu. <laughs> You're looking more like huh, season two checkoff. Uh, yeah, that's true. Or season three, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. early checkoff. He's 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 having a, a a little uh, monkeys and beyond hairdo, right? Mm-hmm. And that may be intentional. That may be like their little, you know, wink and a nod, like, "Hey, Chekhov's not in this, but his hairdo is." Right, right. So, I mean, you know, it, it's all cool. Yeah, I, and like the the Enterprise bridge set really looks good. It mm-hmm. it does. It, it's like as far a cry away from uh, the dude's basement and. National Lampoon Senior Trip. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you know, like that. I, I think I think they did a good job of of selling the the key locations and 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 bits that they needed to sell and everything. And then you combine that with the costuming and then the music cues and everything. And it really, I mean, it definitely evokes all the right pitches for for what they were trying to achieve. Yeah, and I mean, you said it earlier the in the third part when they have the green screen stuff going, I mean, it's very, very obvious, especially, you know, like when you do close-ups. Mm-hmm. But given what they were working with, like they yeah. weren't trying to become, you know, the next next big director, editor, or whatever. They were just trying to put together something fun. I think it really works. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something you can be forgiving of, whether you have a technical background in it or not because i think by that point like if if you weren't into the first two parts then you're not going to buy the third part but i think if you if you've if you've bought into right if they've sold you with the batmobile and the costume and the you know the 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 kirk outfit and the catwoman Mm -hmm. outfit and all that stuff if, if and you're sold by the bridge and all this other stuff by the time it's all green screen on the the city on the edge of forever quote unquote set like by that point i think you you must have invested yourself in their world building enough that you you're willing to to uh, suspend your disbelief and just kind of go along with the for the ride, basically. But I mean, if, if if you haven't done it by that point, I could see people being you know 
maybe malicious or cruel and kind of trying to, you know, ham hammer on all the flaws and everything. And, you know, I don't know from, from even just from, you know, the technical background, like I, I keep saying, you know, like green screen's not easy, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I mean, you know, I think it looks pretty good, like you said, for the time it's in and also probably for the, uh, software and budget they had at the time. I mean, I mean, it, it is certainly easier now. Like if you tried to do that now, you could probably make it pretty clean. But I think especially back then, like, you know, the, there's, you know, like I said, there's that fine line between, being translucent and and having a little green around you and even even on some of the modern stuff you know that 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 can you can still see that slightly green outline on certain in certain shots like it's never it's never a uh, uh, completely perfect mm-hmm. easy thing especially in in uh, films of this you know caliber basically or or this kind of production value level you know oh yeah i mean 2005 they were probably using Windows XP and happy for it, you know? Right, right. <laughs> you know, right. we were we were all just now really getting DSL at that point. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, technology was what it was, but I, it, it doesn't. Besides, we, we all watched some of those terrible shows in the 80s and 90s where you could, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you could see all the strings and everything, and we, we still took it as being just wonderful. And speaking of, at one point they do, <laughs> they do have like the the little mock up where you can see whatever little um, wand or whatever it is they have the model passing through with when Batman tries to get get the uh, brain drain device. Like you can clearly see wh- what's dangling in front of it. Right, right, right. But it, you know, I took that as kind of a, again a wink and a nod to like, hey, this is how effects were back then. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have the strings and the yep. But it's all good. I mean, it's all done with with love and uh, you know, like Jared said last episode, uh, you gotta applaud anybody who's willing to put their heart out there and yeah, and showcase yeah. what they've done because that takes a lot of guts. Yeah, I mean, and and there's plenty of kudos and applause and and mm-hmm. there's there's lots of uh, a lot of heart on display in in the script in the. The, the people that came together, whether it's the crew and the actors and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it, I, I think it shows. And I, I think, th- I think there's a reason why back then this was on a list of like the top, what, five Star Trek fan films at the time, you know, like, so, I mean, I, I, I think it didn't go unappreciated or unnoticed, right? Like that, that, that there was a lot of, you know, love and care put into this project. Oh, yeah. And I, it, it's basically, folks, like anything that you would say is bad with this, 98% of it is either uh, budget or era constraints. And the other 2% is probably intentional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think there's a large margin uh, of forgiveness that you can have in something like this just because it's so much fun. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. That, that pretty much sums it up right there, folks. It's any, like you said, anything that would be considered bad, you can forgive because you're having too much fun. Even the, the non era specific Blues Clues plush that is in the 1960s warehouse. <laughs> well, why is there a copy of Avengers in the episode of MASH? Get that out of my MASH. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, ju- we'll just take, take it as, you know, Time, huh, time's gone wonky. There you go. 
when you see something like that, a wizard did it. A wizard did it. <laughs> uh, it's the guardian for of Forever's Fall. <clears throat> yeah, see, there's, there you go. there's Blue's Clues in my soup. <laughs> oh well, I've I've pretty much said my piece on this. Derek, do you have anything else to add? No, no, I'm good. I, I mean, the only thing I have to add is if if you haven't seen this and and you you were super intrigued by the premise, I mean, you know, it, it's fun, man. Check it out. All righty. So uh, before we wrap up, do let people know where they can find you online because I know you've got a lot of good shows out there. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, if you, if you like podcasts, there's a whole slew of them over at fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. And if you enjoy uh, chronological coverage of uh, TV and film properties uh, that were adapted from comic books, go ahead and check out History of Comics on Film. That's over on the hocof.blogspot.com. And folks, the history of comics on film is definitely one of those rabbit holes that you can just sit there and be like, you know what, I'm going to check this out. This looks interesting. This, you know, I'll kill a few minutes, give it a shot. And the next thing you know, it's the next day. <laughs> so, you know, j- just make sure you have an alarm set because you're going to realize you just killed about six hours. That's me killing hours. <laughs> okay, so... That pretty much wraps it up, and Derek's going to stay down here with me practically forever, uh, unless he wants to go over and investigate that funny-looking arch with smoke coming out of it. That kind of looks like the Guardian of Forever? No, no, it couldn't be. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's a smoke machine that Jared picked up at a yard sale. Uh, You want to go check it out just to make sure, though? Yeah, yeah, I, I, my, my, my boots are on. They're feeling kind of bouncy. I, I think I'm going to go check it out. Well, done. and apparently so is the fog machine guardian. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll just chalk that up as Pat needs it for his DJ inside gig. Yeah, yeah, fog machines are good. Okay, so I'll stay down here. God, I never thought I'd say that phrase. I'll stay down here. And, um, yeah, play a few promos and get back to some listener feedback. Once upon a time, five friends who met on the Bot Talk Transformers forum set out to develop a podcast dedicated to their various interests. Transformers, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. Part fanboys and part holes, they came to be known as the Fan Holes. Their unbridled enthusiasm for podcasting did not end there, and soon enough, their proper podcasts spun off into the Fan Holes network of podcasts. Besides our podcast proper, the Fan Holes soon had a continuum of genre-specific, focused shows such as Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, and Sentai Saturdays. New weekly content can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Fan Holes Podcast. Blogspot.com. Fanholes Podcast, the pop culture podcast. Made for the fans by the fans. Hey everybody, thanks for sticking with me. This is the feedback portion where I get to thank all you lovely listeners for everything you've done on the last episode. Last episode, if you'll remember, was a Tomb Raider fan film, Voice from Beyond, with uh, my guest Jared Albrecht. So before I get into all the likes, shares, retweets, all that, one quick shout out to all the Crusader Club members. Thank you so much. Your support helps make this network possible. If you want to be a Crusaders Club member, 
It's very simple. You just go on to Patreon and look up Longbox Crusade for as little as $1 a month and your name not being Jason Albrick. You can too become a member of the Crusaders Club. So, last episode got likes, shares, retweets, all that fun stuff from Jared Albrick, Professor Frenzy, Laurel at Mountainflower1, Rick Heineken, Gene Hendricks, Eugene R. Hendricks, that's Gene when he's being professional, I hope you know. Glenn Peterman, The Invincible Doomega Culture of Everything. Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Max Reads Comics, Tim Price, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, That Cartoonist Guy, Waffles, Secret Wars and Beyond, Max Reads Comics, Trekker Talk, Kathy Bright, and Warlock Thanos Podcast. If I missed anybody, do please let me know. I'll fix it next episode. Uh, amazingly enough, we did not get any direct feedback that I saw about the last fan film. I'm not sure if I just completely missed everything, or if uh, you know everybody just had fun watching it and didn't have anything interesting to say afterward. So maybe that means we did our jobs, and we summed it up really well. But if I am missing some feedback, let me know. I'll cover it. No problem. I don't mind backtracking a bit. So that pretty much wraps up the feedback portion. That, it's short, quick, in a hurry, but that's fine. If you want to get in contact, you can find me over on Twitter at Fridays underscore fan. Or you can email the show at fanfilmfridays at gmail.com. Trust me, folks. I live for this feedback because apparently I'm not getting out of this basement, at least not this episode. So until next time, I hope you all have fun and I will see you again for another Fan Film Friday. Today you can take your telephone, your, your, your cell phone, you can make a movie on that. And if it's a really cool movie that's funny and it's dramatic or whatever, you can post it on YouTube. If you want to make films and you want to tell stories, you can do it. But if you're obsessed with film and you love to tell stories and you love working in that medium, uh, then uh, that will give you the strength to be persistent. Do you like cheap comic books? <laughs> And I hope you know. <laughs> uh, he messaged me the other day, so he he, he knows it's coming. <laughs>